Welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Maria Batt, Director of Client Relations and Design for Shovel the Sidewalk. We are a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York, specializing in building brands for small businesses and then pushing their messages out into the community through um, authentic storytelling. And today on Sidewalk Talk, I have actually my parents' neighbor, um, Keith Craigie. He is a chemical engineer in Buffalo, New York, and I babysat both of his kids while I was growing up, and now they're in grad school and, yeah. and doing their own thing. So welcome, Keith. Thanks for taking the time today. You're welcome. So Keith's story is kind of interesting. Keith has, um, was kind of in a hot zone of uh, the coronavirus in South Korea for a little bit, came home, uh, lived through being in quarantine, and here he is to tell the tale to all of us. Um, so Keith, what were you doing in South Korea? So I had been asked early in the year to go over to Korea to help start up a chemical plant that we um, needed to set up for the customer. And it just happened to be that the startup was right around the time that the coronavirus was starting to become known to everybody. Even before I went over to Korea, I had people at work asking me, why are you doing this? Like, why would you go over there? Because there was already cases in Korea. And, and I ended up going over there on February 10th. By that time, China had had thousands and thousands of cases. And Korea's right next door. So people knew that it wouldn't be long before Korea would start to see the cases. But I did go over on February 10th, and I was there for about two and a half weeks. Um, I ended up leaving um, as it started to get really bad, and the cases started, the number of cases started to explode um, after there was a kind of a super spreader of the coronavirus in the province of Daegu, which was about uh, two or three hours drive from where I was in Korea. How long were you supposed to be there for? I was supposed to be there for about six weeks. So we cut the trip short out of the safety concerns with regards to the coronavirus. Now, were you able to finish the job that you were there to do? Do you have plans where you have to go back to, to wrap it up? Unfortunately, no, we were not able to finish the job. Um, hope maybe I may have to go back to finish it, but it looked like the local people were able to finish the job with our remote support. Now, um, I'm a graphic designer and everybody hears about, what are you, like a chemical engineer or something like that? But I don't think everybody actually knows exactly probably what it is that you do. So explain a little bit, um, what, what, are, what are you doing with, with chemicals, Keith? Okay, so in my particular situation, I am involved in designing plants that make hydrogen. And so I'm what they call a process engineer. I would be involved in determining what the flows and the pressures and the temperatures for each of the streams, what kind of chemical reactions are taking place in, within the reactors. And we would go through the process of doing the overall design of the plant. We put together something called a heat mass balance. And then we can give that to people who can do the individual design of the equipment. So mine's is more of a big picture as to how the plant should work. I would be involved in writing operating manuals and conducting safety reviews. And, and then when the plants get ready to start up, it's very, it's very typical for the process engineer to be over there to help start the plants and actually be the ones who start them for the first time. And that was actually what took me over to Korea. We have several hydrogen plants that needed to be started up and I was uh, 
asked to go over to Korea to help start those plants up. So at what point when you were there, were they like, okay, that's, that's it. You got to wrap everything up however best you can wrap it up and then pass it off to somebody else, I'm, I'm assuming, um, to manage it since you weren't going to be there? Actually, the, the Koreans were not very happy that we were deciding to leave. It was our, was our decision myself. I was with a team of three other people from, from the United States, and they were not happy that we were leaving uh, because, you know, for them it was, okay, you know, we're home. But we were really concerned. We ended up making the case to our management that we needed to go back because we were afraid not only of potentially getting the coronavirus and then ending up being you know, in a hospital in Korea or um, you know, being quarantined somewhere within Korea, but I was also concerned about even getting a flight home. I mean, if you had remembered at that time, the major U.S. airlines stopped flying to China when it got really bad in China. And, you, and so the Americans that were left behind were having a really difficult time. And when, with Korea's proximity to China, I was very concerned that I would get stranded for weeks in, in Korea. Um, so we actually had, we made the decision to say, no, we're going to call this off um, and we'll come back when the situation is better. Um, and so we ended up approaching the project manager that was there and letting them know, making our case to management before getting the okay to come home. So that's, it's one thing to be quarantined in your home or to be sick in your, in your own country, but to be quarantined or sick in a country that you're not familiar with, that you don't, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're, are you fluent in, in Korean? No, not at all. In fact, that's no. always a challenge, right? Because not only am I not fluent, I can't even guess what the letter, what the symbols are, right? So I would have no idea. Um, you should have seen me trying to do laundry because I, you know, all the symbols were in Korean. <laughs> I'm just kind of guessing. I think this bus button does what I want it to do. <laughs> and there's only so much the apps can, can uh, help you there. So yeah, that was also a concern of being stuck in a country in a, you know, if, I, if I had it, if I did, if I were to come down with it, being in a hospital that was in Korea, um, having a hard time being able to communicate with anybody, um, it was just for all those reasons, we decided that it was better to get out. Uh, one of my colleagues has asthma and he was, had already, uh, unfortunately, uh, his, his breathing machine broke down and he didn't have a breathing machine and he had, was hacking because of not having his breathing machine and every time he was doing that, the, the local people were taking his temperature. He was already concerned about uh, people wanting to quarantine him just because they didn't understand what was going on with them. Yeah, that, I mean, that would have to be, because you you can't really explain the way you would want to to somebody who doesn't speak your language, that no, no, this happens to me all the time. I don't have my machine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't trust me. <laughs> yeah. So when you, so you guys decided to leave, well, first of all, you know, Korea's cases spiked so fast, but the country really, I mean, in my opinion, and from what other people are saying in the news, they did a really great job responding and containing it and, you know, flattening that curve. Um, what, what changes did you notice while you were down there from the time you got there to the time you left and in the difference of their their response and how they took action it's a good question they were actually already ahead of the united states 
even when they went over there, they were already, um, a large percentage of the people were already wearing masks, even though they only had a few cases in Korea when I went over there. Um, in fact, at the site, it was strongly recommended that you wear masks if you were inside of the commissioning trailer or inside the control room. Later on, um, oh, then the other thing that I had to do is I had to uh, take my temperature every day and write it on a on a sheet um, in case I you know had a fever. Once the cases did start to spike, and you're right, they they really started to spike very quickly in Korea within days. Um, the last couple of days I was at the site, they were taking our temperature even as we were driving into the site. So they, if we had a temperature, they would not have even let me in the site at all um, to, to help avoid any contact with any of the other people on the site. And then we were required to wear the masks when we were around people, which would be in the control room and in the, uh, in the commissioning trailer. So the company was already taking a lot of proactive steps, but you also saw within the culture, the culture by when it really started to spike, everybody was wearing a mask. Um, you know, it just as a precaution. And one of the things that Korea did that we saw was they very quickly went to their highest level of concern, um, you know, for, you know, so they could react properly, which was something that they, their, their code red type of thing, um, which is, which, to be honest, scared us because all of a sudden they went to their highest level, um, but it allowed them to be able to do containment measures to try to keep the virus within the one province, the Daegu province, that it was, had really, the cases had really gone up very significantly, very quickly. Now, did everybody there seem pretty compliant? Because I know one thing that you keep hearing is nobody's listening. You have to stay home. If we're going to contain this, you have to stay home. You have to listen. It is a real problem. Were they um, more compliant with uh, what the government was telling them to do? Yes. Um, in fact, it was interesting because in general, if you saw people who did not have a mask on, that was walking around public, it was usually somebody who wasn't Korean. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, the Americans in particular were most likely the ones that you'd see that if you saw another American they weren't wearing weren't wearing the masks. Um, now they didn't in the area I was I was not quarantined and there were I mean in the sense of I we weren't told to stay home. They were just more interested in in making sure that we were washing our hands that we were um, that we were wearing masks in in public and culturally they were doing that um, and that was it seemed like it for them anyway there were it stopped the cases in the only in the area that was badly hit initially but in the other parts of korea it wasn't so bad and did they have the um like the reduced resources um like shortages like of masks or um other supplies that that we have here or were they do you think that they were pretty ready they to, seem to be pretty well set yeah. for things like masks. In fact, I knew going over there that I was going to have to wear, it was, or it was recommended that I wear a mask at the site. So I tried to pick up some masks here. I'm still in the Buffalo area to take over with me, just a pack, just to have something. And I had a hard time finding them here. And this was, you know, back at the end of January, um, we had to go to three stores before we I got them. But by the time I got over to Korea, it's like there were masks everywhere. <laughs> so it seemed like they were better prepared in that sense. 
of being able to have the supplies for the people, you know, to, to be able to use. So you guys decided the best course of action was to pack up and to come home. What was that process like? Because were you, when you got in, did you have to get any kind of testing or were you just ordered into, or was it a voluntary quarantine that you went into when you got home? Yeah, so going home, uh, once we got the approval to do so, um, through going through the airports were really no issue. Um, I, was, I was asked where I had been in Korea, but because I hadn't been in the, the, the restricted areas, there was no issue for me. That was in, on the Korean side, I was asked those questions. Um, when I got through on the American side, uh, there was no issue. Um, it was just the standard coming back into the country questions that you would get. When I got home, I was uh, asked by my, by my work to self-quarantine because I had been in Korea. Um, not you know, really just to stay home and work from home because I have the capability of do that, to do that. And I did, I tried and I stayed out of the public for two weeks um, as a result of, of doing that. So was your family, because you came into contact with your family then obviously, because you, you live with your son and your wife. So were yes. they kind of in quarantine too then, just guilt by association? Uh, they could not be really, but I tried to minimize being around them. So mm -hmm. as best as I could, I tried to social distance myself from my family during that time period because it, you know, they, they, I did not want to have any chance of them getting the coronavirus. And you guys are all good. And we're all good. Everything worked out just fine. You're living so, to tell the thankfully. tale. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to, you know, to me, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to where I can work from home. Um, but so maybe it's for that reason that I think, you know, us, staying at home and, you know, not being in large groups and kind of quarantining as best we can on our own isn't that big of a deal. But um, how was it, how was it for you? Were you okay? Were you out of your mind? <laughs> how was it? <laughs> <laughs> so initially it was fine because by be having been out of town for so many weeks, I needed to just, I had so much backed up at home anyway. It was actually really kind of nice. Um, as far as the work part went, it was, it's, uh, it was nice because I didn't have the commute in the morning. Um, it was a little more relaxed. Um, but uh, I think after doing this for two weeks, I just did want to get out. I wanted to go out back into, into public. So I felt like I was, you know, not just um, a hermit, that I could be somebody who would, uh, you know, be able to interact again. But uh, I patiently waited until the two weeks. And yeah, you're right. By the end of it, I was, I was squirrely. You know, thankfully, we have a pretty good backyard. I can walk around um, and just enjoy that. But I was ready to go back into in the public. What was the first thing you wanted to do? Now, we're still all kind of in a lockdown of some sense. But what was the first thing that you wanted to do as soon as you were done? Um, go out to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also teach, uh, we, we teach fourth through sixth graders at our church, which I stayed away from also for the two weeks. And so I was looking forward to getting back to that when I was sure that I wasn't going to infect anybody. And I was, so I was able to do that uh, for one week before then just the general everybody stay home orders hit.
Before you're back again. <laughs> Before I'm back again. <laughs> but I'm with everybody else now. We're all we're all going through this now. I know. It's this very weird, you know, we're all in this together. And it's not even just, you know, the North Ton I'm in NT too. It's not just the North Tonawan community. It's like the world is all in this together. We're all on some weird team right now. That's right. That's right. So one thing, at least when I was in Korea, I didn't see any panic over buying stuff. No. Okay. So, you know, when I, I did make some trips to the grocery store when I was there for some supplies and uh, best as I can tell, there were no empty shelves. Everything was there. People weren't panicking and trying to buy every last roll of toilet paper that they could find. Um, it was actually much calmer in that, you know, in that setting than what I've seen when I came back to the United States. Now, is it purely because they have more bidets than we do, or is it because they just weren't like doing the crazy panic that that we all are? I I don't know. Uh, I, let me put it this way: there was enough toilet paper that was there that uh, I was at an event. Um, it was a, a a nearby church I'd gone to. They had a dinner afterwards, and the people there um, were using toilet paper instead of napkins, which I thought was really kind of odd. I don't know why. Um, but <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a, I guess it was okay culturally, but at least they had a plenty supply of them. So it was, there wasn't a problem. They didn't have any supply problems that I came across. Huh. So you've been here, you've been there and you've been here. You've actually been all over the world for, for your work. You've right. been to Germany. Where, where have you been? I've been to Germany. I've been to Italy. I've been to India, I've been to China, I've been to the Netherlands, I've been to Brazil, or some of the uh, some of the places I've been. And with all the places that you have been, and granted, you weren't in pandemic situations every place that you went, but you certainly were able to observe other communities. How does our community, the Buffalo, the city of Good Neighbor, um, compare? Are, are we so different from everybody else? Or are we pretty much all the same, just in a different zip code? Um, it's very similar. I will say people in Buffalo, I think, are a little friendlier. Mm. Most people, when you go and you travel worldwide, aren't very friendly. And it may not be that they're not friendly. It's that the, the language, you never know what language somebody may speak, especially in Europe, where there's so many countries nearby each other. And so people wouldn't normally just be greeting and saying, hi to people and asking how they are. I see that a lot more in Buffalo than I do in any of the other countries that I would travel in. And it's not unusual for me to, you know, try to say good morning in the local language and mm -hmm. a person just kind of, uh, you know, smiling and walking on. So what is your, um, what's your advice to everybody as we're trying to contain all of this, You've been in quarantine. Now you're kind of in the same boat as everybody else. How can we? How can we keep our sanity? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, people need to do what you know what the government officials have been telling them to do. If we're gonna if we're gonna beat this thing, we need to you know try to social distance and and try to do that and, and stay away from people and and follow the precautions that we're we're been asked to do for this time being. Um, with regards to the advice, I think. You know, for me, getting outside every once in a while, taking a walk um, was very helpful for my sanity and with it being nice out, uh, you know, 
it's uh it's nice to be able to do that you know you can still talk to people just you just need to be far enough away right i think being outside and, and talking to your neighbors has helped me a lot in getting through that uh, you know i just we just keep respectable distances maybe even on the other side of the street but uh, it was still i think those kind of things of being able to have those social interactions um have been helpful i also have found that just you know uh, being able to catch up on some of the stuff that I've needed to do that I've put off for so long has been wonderful. And so it's kind of putting it in perspective of just saying, hey, we're going to get through this. And if, you know, just take advantage of the time that we have right now, because life's going to get crazy busy again very soon. And, you know, you have an opportunity now when things are maybe a little bit more relaxed than normal, enjoy it and just take advantage of that. Yeah, I think that's a lesson that we're all learning right now, that it's it's okay to slow down. Things are, are going to be there tomorrow. They're going to be there the day after. And I think it's making everybody appreciate things a little bit more. Hopefully it, it sticks when this is all done and we all kind of keep that in mind. We keep washing our hands and we don't stop coughing into the crux of our arms so we can stay healthier for longer. Right. So thank you again for taking time from, uh, Keith has an enormously huge and beautiful backyard. And right now he's working on taking cedar chips and making paths. My kids spend a good chunk of their summer back there just navigating the trails that he builds and all of the little garden statues that his wife um, surprises Keith with all the time, <laughs> whether he wants some or not. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out of that. You're definitely going to get that done in record time this year, I have a feeling. I started earlier than ever, yes. <laughs> so thank you. If um, if you who's listening to or watching our podcast right now has somebody that you think has an interesting story that can either entertain us while we're all shut in or can help everybody as they're sitting at home, um, get on, come on to our, our website, shovelthesidewalk.com and visit the Sidewalk Talk uh, page. We've got a form there you can fill out. You can also check out our other podcasts or you could stream them from Spotify or wherever else it is that you stream your podcasts. Um, so thank you again. And this has been Sidewalk Talk.